So Money Episode 67, Jamie Tardy. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Whether you're on your commute to work, from work, at the gym, at the park, lounging by the pool, thanks for tuning in. I so appreciate your support and your subscription to this daily podcast. Now, for most of us, including yours truly, having strict deadlines can be a very helpful tool in achieving our goals. And for today's guest, Jamie Tardy, a nine-month deadline put her quickly into action to become financially free. She became pregnant and had a limited amount of time to put her financial life together before welcoming her new baby. And she did it. At the same time, she managed to quit her six-figure full-time job with an expense account, no less, all with confidence. Today, Jamie owns her own business and has transformed her lifestyle of working 24-7 to just 30 hours a week. Jamie also writes about her experience in her new book, The Eventual Millionaire. In it, she also chronicles what she's learned from over 120 interviews with millionaires she's profiled on her podcast, also entitled The Eventual Millionaire. In the book, her guests discuss the tricks that worked in building their business and what they wish they had done differently. On top of being an author, a blogger, a podcaster, Jamie's also a successful business coach, working with entrepreneurs who want to transform their business and personal lives while building their net worth. Now, three takeaways from our interview with Jamie, what she thinks about the education system in this country and why she chose an entrepreneurial school for her kids, how she managed to pull her financial life together in less than a year, and the benefits of creating her own board of advisors. You can do this too. It's pretty fascinating and I think it's extremely brilliant. Here is the wonderful Jamie Tardy. Jamie Tardy, welcome to So Money, my friend. How are you? I am amazing. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, you're especially amazing because you moved to Austin. I know last I heard you were in Maine. I'm still stuck in the East Coast, suffering the the tundra that is the East Coast right now. And you're in sunny Austin, so I'm very, very jealous. Uh, you should be. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll be coming to San Antonio for podcast movement. Uh, looking forward to that and um, hopefully seeing a lot of uh, fellow podcasters, maybe you even there oh, as well. Yeah, it's in, um, I think, Dallas-Fort Worth this year. And um, yeah, I, I'm, it's only three hours away. So hopefully Perfect. you'll definitely see me. All right, sweet. So now, Jamie, I, I just gave this uh, very robust introduction of you and your work and the momentum that you've really built for it yourself over the last five years since launching Eventual Millionaire has, it, it keeps going. The pendulum continues to swing. Momentum is going strong for you. Uh, you know, it started with the Eventual Millionaire. Um, you've got the podcast, the book. Now you, you're a brand, you're a business, you're coaching, you're speaking. What is next? Where is the pendulum swinging towards now? 
Oh, so we have a lot of plans, right? There, <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> indulge I think any me. Entrepreneur, any entrepreneur doesn't have plans, and it's so funny because I want to start doing things now, and my online business manager has to like slap my hand and be like, "No, no, we we are focused." So this year, what we're really looking to do is really getting out on our group coaching program, Millionaire Hustlers, and go crazy with that. We've got a hundred people in there right now for this three month program, which is amazing, um, and we've had in saying testimonials from it. So really leveling that up. Because one of the things I realized as you're pushing forward, people love the podcast, which is amazing. I've had people email me saying I changed their life, even though I've never spoken to them in my mm. life. And that's probably one of the reasons why you did your podcast too. It's amazing the reach yes. of people all over the world that you can touch, uh, even though you're just talking into a microphone. So we are so lucky to be able to do that. Um, but I want to go a little bit deeper and, and more. So like long term, I think that education needs to change. I don't think in general <laughs> that we're teaching the kids what we need to. My, I have two small children. I guess they're not small anymore eight and five. And I just think about what they're doing when they grow up. Um, and I'm sending them to an entrepreneurial kids school, which teaches almost the exact same thing that I'm teaching. So I'm really looking to get out there and try and teach as many, especially young entrepreneurs and in college and, you know, 20 year olds to understand what they can learn on their own. Cause again, I think college and where it's going is just changing. Yes. And I want to be there on the forefront when, when we do. So many questions just running through my head right now. Um, and also, I am totally in agreement with you because I, what I've been saying for a long time is that, and I don't think it's a big secret to people who uh, are entrepreneurs, that when you're in school from kindergarten up on through high school, even college level, you know, at the education system, the American education system, it does not really encourage risk-taking, thinking outside the box. If you get in trouble, you get reprimanded. If you, you know, if you speak your, if you say something that is a kind of against the creed of the school or you do something that is considered weird, you're ostracized. And so school as a system, as sort of an environment currently is not one that really, um, can cultivate, you know, the next aspiring entrepreneurs. I mean, I interviewed Barbara Corcoran and she got like, she almost failed <laughs> out of school. And it's not a coincidence. You hear a lot of these successful, wildly successful entrepreneurs. I'm sure many of them, you've heard these stories as well, where school was not where they got their aha moments. Definitely. And that's the thing that's so hard. I remember my son coming home from school one day and being like, I'm weird. Like none of my friends, he had a business, right? And he thought it was the coolest thing ever. And he was trying to explain it to them. And they have no idea, right? And and it's like, and, and doing all the research of millionaires, the ones that succeeded faster had entrepreneurial parents. So don't get me wrong. Like uh, you can succeed without having entrepreneurial parents, mm -hmm. but they learn that stuff at a young age instead of it being so, I mean, my dad told me to be an entrepreneur forever, but he couldn't do it. He actually failed. <laughs> um, so it's sort of an interesting path. And I've had so many people email me and say that um, the Podcast, just the podcast alone, the free podcast gives more than their MBA or oh more gosh. than their college education. And I'm like, man, that, we are spending so much money. And I love learning. Don't get me wrong. I don't think anyone should ever stop learning in general for anything, right? Uh, but it's more about how can we really put our time and effort into the things that are really going to matter most to us in the future. So it's not about saying don't go to college, but rather working with uh, academia and in educational institutions to incorporate more entrepreneurial programming, perhaps? So I'm not a fan. So what I've found from mm -hmm. interviewing millionaires is most of them either don't use their degree or didn't go to college at all. The people that did are the ones that are doctors and dentists and lawyers and those things that really need that traditional education component. 
And so it's an interesting thing. If you go to college for the connections, let's say you go to an Ivy League school, I think that's really smart, right? I've had a couple of millionaires come on the show that went to an Ivy League school even after the fact that they were out of college age just for the connections and the, you know, for the fun of it because learning that stuff is really, really cool. Um, but if you're going <laughs> to school, um, it's hard. A lot of the entrepreneurial programs, I mean, people listen to my show that are in those programs and they're like, but the person teaching me has never done it before or you know and I'm like okay, well you know and so uh, getting someone that's on the ground just making sure that when you are choosing your education you choose it really really wisely when I uh, decided on the entrepreneur kids school for my kids I mean it's been based on many entrepreneurs here in Austin specifically um, and they're they're uh, creeds are very similar to what I teach all of my clients. And I'm like, imagine, I mean, I was planning on teaching my kids this stuff anyway, but imagine them doing that all the time. One of the things that they do is they don't let you ask, uh, they don't give you the answers if you ask questions. So if you're a little kid and, and you ask a question, they go figure it out yourself instead of the answer is five. Mm. See, mm. you know, they're like, go figure it out. And it's hard at first, they said, <laughs> you know, because it goes all the way up to high school. They'll be like, figure it out yourself. You got Google. <laughs> yeah. And I would that's just, what we have to do. I would just say to parents on the – I'm a parent now and I would say to other parents or aspiring parents, if you don't have an entrepreneur school in your neighborhood, one of the things I think can go a really long way is – and I read this on Medium one day. It was a, it was a dad. He wrote about how he's trying to teach his son about um, – being entrepreneurial. So how he does it is rather than saying, we're going to give you an allowance for doing X, whether it's like, you know, cleaning the yard or whatever project, he encourages his kids to come up with projects on their own. They kind of assess the family's needs, sort of the the areas that need help or could need some um, assistance. And then they present that idea to their parents. And then they're in charge of also figuring out how much they think their time is worth. Like, dad, I think it's really, uh, it would be really great, for example, if I helped you organize your I don't know, your new office and, and created file systems for you or whatever, whatever. And uh, I want to make, you know, you, you I'm going to make $15 or I'm going to make $30. And so what that teaches the child is, one, how to identify a need in the market, in this place, the household. <laughs> Two, um, figure out how they're going to do it and really present it and sell it. They have to sell it to the parents, pitch it. And then three, figure out, you know, and negotiate, you know, figure out what they're worth, what they want and negotiate back and forth with the parents. And that substitutes just kind of the handout or the, you know, the stream, the straightforward uh allowance. And I think that is brilliant. My son's only eight months, but I can't wait till he's like eight years old and we can do this in our house. I do something very, very similar. It's funny. We used to uh, pay them to do chores, right? I think it's uh, really important. They have some things they have to do, but other things like making their bed, they'd earn 50 cents every time they made their bed. Uh, so they could decide if they wanted to, when they wanted to, when they wanted money, that sort of thing. The funny thing was, is that my son started a business with our karate dojo. He was selling Gatorade <laughs> and ended up making $20, $40 in profit every single month and was like, I am in no way making my bed for 50 cents. <laughs> yeah. Like they, leverage, right? Man, they're like, leverage. Exactly. Exactly. He's like, I know what my time is worth. Totally. And it's so funny because it's a great lesson. I was annoyed because he wouldn't make his bed anymore. But I mean, it's a huge lesson for him to learn. And he was like six or seven at the time. And now, you know, we have a cleaning person that comes and help. He's like, can I, can I just have her clean my room? And I'm like, if you have 10 bucks, yeah, give me 10 bucks and I'll have her clean. Yeah. Maybe too. he's making so much now he can afford to outsource too. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, and it's funny, like I don't want to have give them a, a complex against money. Um, you know what I mean? Because having a cleaning person, I hate cleaning. That's the reason why I have somebody it's totally worth it for me financially. 
to have a cleaning person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't want to teach them that you can throw your stuff around and they'll clean it. You know what I mean? Right, someone else will clean it up. That's horrible. Yes. So they have to clean up their own stuff. And, you know, the cleaning person does not touch their rooms ever unless they pay for it, which I know Whoa. is a little hardcore. But <laughs> That is hardcore. Well, it, it – it doesn't sort of surprise me because you've had, you know, you've had your challenges with money yourself. You've you've overcome some financial challenges, which I want to get into in a little bit. But before we do, I'd love to kind of set the stage a little bit and learn more about how you think about money, Jamie. And by now you've interviewed so many millionaires. Uh, but for you, what is your biggest financial philosophy or your money mantra? Ever since I was little, I am really jazzed by the thought of progress. So since I was around eight or nine, my whole point was progress, right? And it's not perfection because I am a perfectionist and it's hard to remind myself that it's not about perfection, Um, but it's about making the best choices that you can within the moment that you can with the information you have. So if you can research and figure out better information, then use that information in the choices that you do. And that's all I've tried to do this entire time. That's what millionaires do over and over and over again. They're looking for that forward motion, that keep moving forward anyway. And yes, you're going to mess up. You just are because life is messy sometimes. But as long as you can keep moving forward, I mean, looking back, it's insane to sort of see how far I've come, right? I mean, I I have a a quick story and, and I know we'll probably get into a little bit more of this, but I was in $70,000 in debt, and uh, one of the reasons was a brand new $20,000 car. So I thought I could, I should have everything that my parents had when I was 19. I bought a house when I was 19. I had two cars when I was 19. Like, it was, it was a little, it was a white packet fence. It was really cute. Uh, but, but it's one of those things where I was only 19 years old, and I was still in college, and I was working full time trying to pay for all the stuff that I had. And so I got out of college. I got uh, just out of six-figure job at 22, which I thought was super cool. But I, I What was the job? Stuff. I, I was a project manager for a video on demand company. So I used wow. to travel for work every week, um, which sounds great and awesome. I had an expense account, except it was utterly miserable. And I was working about 70 hours a week till like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I mean, even when I was pregnant, I did that. And it was, it was ridiculous. Um, and I, didn't like it. And I was like, money is not worth this in any way. But we had just bought a brand new car for $20,000. It's a Honda Civic. And for some reason, I love that car, and I pictured our family in that car, and all that fun stuff. And uh, and I had this emotional attachment to it. And I remember reading Dave Ramsey's book, and uh, it's like chapter five on Totem Money Makeover, and it talks about like how cars are dead weight, you know. And I remember it being like so logical and making sense. And I I ended up selling the car, even though it was a month old. It only had like eight hundred miles on it. I ended up selling it, and I thought I was gonna, you know die. Like I thought it was going to be half taken off when I tried to sell it. Um, but I only lost a thousand dollars and it cut off a huge chunk of that debt. Like a huge, I mean, it was huge, right? I did have to buy another car. So it's not like it was, you know, 20 grand off the top. I did have to buy another car. I bought like a $7,000 car because I did drive quite a bit, but it cut off a huge chunk and it really uh, propelled me to make more forward progress on that goal. And the funny thing is, is when I came to Austin, I needed to buy a new car. And I usually I buy cars and run them sort of into the ground. I don't care about having a new, sexy, cool car. And uh, so I bought a Honda Civic with cash, almost the exact same one that I had before. <laughs> and it was one of those things where I was looking at, you know, it was only about seven years difference from when I had to sell the Honda Civic to when I could buy it with cash um, because I was making those small incremental 
changes, you know, and of course, leveling up my income and figuring out what I love. So I didn't have to do that crappy job that I didn't like anymore. Like I put money second life first. Mm -hmm. And then when the money started coming in, I could start to go, okay, now I can really um, get some of the stuff that I wanted to have before. And it's, it's sort of funny how it all comes full circle as long as you're really paying attention to that progress. You know, you're not going to know it all right now, but Mm -hmm. in the span of time, you can figure a whole bunch of stuff out. Right. Being conscious in the moment. And it sounds like you really knew your priorities. And of course, along the way, you can get tempted, you buy the car, but, but when it came time to really make those hard decisions, I think what, um, what propelled you was knowing that, you know, you want progress and you want to go in a better direction. And so these, you know, trading in that car, selling that car might've been a little, uh, kind of heartbreaking, but then look, you got, you, you cut off a huge chunk of that debt, which kind of transitions us to, my next question, which is, I'm curious to know what was your biggest financial failure? I mean, I know I've read articles that you, know, you went from $70,000 in debt, largely student loans, to then, of course, um, being this huge brand and businesswoman. Uh, but what would you characterize, what would you categorize as your biggest financial fail? And what was the outcome? How did you eventually um, move yourself out of that situation? Well, I think the funny thing is, is uh, I didn't know I was in $70,000 in debt. Like I didn't even have a clue. Like that's not cool, number one. Like I didn't know my numbers at all. And I think that's sort of that first step of being super honest with where you're at. And it's hard because that first step is awareness, right? And I was scary there. It took me a really long, I remember, I remember very vividly (laughs) what it was like to add that up. And I I thought I was smart with money at that point, right? Like I I was an overachiever and that's what I do. I know, right? I'm like, I am successful. (laughs) I make six figures. I know. I'm so cool. Oh, wait. Uh, And that's what was so, I mean, that's, it made my, you know, it it made me anxious. It made my stomach hurt. Like it flipped because I I added it all up and I was like, I'm in $70,000 in debt. And it wasn't credit cards. I had just paid off my credit cards like the year before. Because I, I mean, I did. I put my honeymoon on my credit card and a whole bunch of other things like that beforehand. This was me even smarter at the time. And I was still in $70,000 in debt, right? Which is, which is silly and variable loans, uh, variable interest loans and stuff. So it was going up and up like, and I thought I was pretty good with money. So I had to sort of eat that and be like, Oh, okay. The only thing I can do is accept where I am. And then I made the choices to get here. And the only thing I can do is make those hard choices to get back out. And it's hard because when you're making good money, you're like, but I deserve this and I am working hard. Um, But I really, you have to learn how to sacrifice. So selling that car, I remember specifically selling it and going, I can always buy another one. Mm -hmm. Like as soon as the money's okay and as soon as I can actually live a life I love, and that's sort of the premise of a venture millionaire, by the way. A lot of people think that it's, you know, it's all about the money. Like it's a venture millionaire, woohoo. The whole point and the reason why I came up with the brand name was because it life should be first, money should be second. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to get to your million, right, as long as you're happy. So I remember <clears throat> thinking right before I quit my job, I don't care. Like imagine if I lived the next 10 years and I still had a goal to be a millionaire, even, I mean, since I was eight years old, right? <laughs> and I remember going, I could probably become a millionaire much faster on this corporate track, right? Um, but if I died the day before I became a millionaire, I would have felt like I wasted my life. Mm. 
Or on the opposite, even if I didn't come close to a net worth of a million dollars, but I enjoyed what I did for work and I loved every second of my life, well, it didn't, it didn't matter, right? It was a no-brainer when you sort of put it in perspective, right? Because it's not about the money, you're going to be dead. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but as soon as I put that in perspective, it was like, okay, I need to give up this goal of a million. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going to make myself miserable trying to, because I'm, like I said, I'm an overachiever. So I like, we'll do whatever it takes to get the goal. Well, yeah, eight years old and thinking you want to be a millionaire, what was your fascination with it at that age? And how has that fascination transitioned, changed, evolved over the years now as an adult and having spoken to so many millionaires and really gotten to the, the bottom of it? Well, my parents were kind of poor. We didn't have a lot of money at all. Um, and, I, and my best friend sort of had a lot more, right? And I, I sort of saw how much more fun she had, how much more, you know, it, it was, uh, it was pretty clear. And I remember my parents saying, you know, we wished we could have given you what she had. And I remember just being like, and my parents can afford shoes at one point, and, you know, and they talked about that. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I don't want that to be a thing. I just don't I, like safety is a huge issue of mine. When I was little, I had this thing called the money tree, and it was like this tree that I pretended if I was pulling money off of it. You know, I was one. Of, I was one of those kids, right? Or I, I remember um, saving up my money to get uh, like a cordless phone. Remember cordless phones a long time ago, and uh, and I learned I learned a lot of great things about money and not so great things. I remember um, my dad. I used to not hoard. I'd keep all my money, right? I'd save it. I was more of a saver than a spender. Um, that's why I thought I was pretty good with it, but apparently, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and he used to give me interest. So I'd keep my money under the plates when I was little. And he, you know, before like ATMs were everywhere, he couldn't go to the bank. So he'd borrow the cash that I had and he would give me a dollar or $2 more. And I remember going like, that is an amazing thing to learn. The, the power that when you have money, what you can do that you can earn more mm -hmm. with it, right? Which was a great, great lesson. I wish, I mean, it didn't really hit me until later, I don't think. Yeah, that like, compound interest, right? Exactly. Like I was I, on the opposite side, I when I got out of debt uh, or when I was in debt, I was like, oh man, I'm doing the opposite. Man, why? I thought I learned this when I was younger. If you have it, you can actually make more money. Um, and, but when you don't, you have to pay more and it, it sucks. You get stuck in this cycle. And so um, that mil that fascination of being a millionaire, I think, was just for safety and security where, you know, I wanted to not have to worry about it. And since I'm such an overachiever, I'm like, well, if other people can do this, I can do this, too. Right. But again, it made me make choices based on that. So my dad told me I never had to go to college. He didn't go to college. Um, and he was pretty happy in what he did, even though he didn't work out so well as an entrepreneur uh, working for himself. Um, but I was like, no, dad, you don't understand. If I want to be successful, I have to go to college. <laughs> I remember saying that like with attitude when I was like 17, right? No, you don't understand. Like I have to. And I would make choices based on that. And then when I gave that up, I mean, and it was hard. Like I felt like I was failing, right? My goal was to be a millionaire before the age of 30. And I'm 33 now. And I remember going like, oh, but I love my life. I love what I get to do. Like I would do this if, if nobody paid me anything at all. Cause I feel like I'm really helping change the world and changing other people's lives. And I would not give that up for anything at this point. It's like a drug to me. I mm -hmm. love helping people. And so being able to sort of give up that attachment to money 
that made it so much better. And I make way more now than I ever did in yeah. my job, right? Uh, and so it's giving that up and putting the work in and just doing it anyway and making that progress, you know, the best decisions you can with the information you have at the, at the time. I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but what's your favorite interview so far? What, who, who has, for you, been the most inspiring millionaire? Ooh, so uh, so it's like choosing between children, by the way. I know. So, <laughs> so it makes it difficult. Um, but the first one that came up to my mind when you asked um, was one of my mentors. He's actually on my board of mentors. His name is Nicholas Webb, and he's a futurist. And I am a huge technology geek and where the future is going to go with technology, right? We're talking about AI. We're talking about singularity going into space. Like it's insane what our world is going to look like in 20, 30, 40, 50 years with medical technology with so many things. And he went through and was talking about 3D printing and what that looks like and how that's going to change the shape of what we're doing. And it's amazing to sort of know that we're making progress in so many aspects of this world, right? When we think about not having the internet before we were, I was chatting with someone, actually one of the millionaires I interviewed and he was talking about how he had to, you know, write letters to people and how long it took hmm. before they got the letters. And even if they wrote anything back, you had no idea. Yes. Right? And so imagine doing business then comparatively to what we're doing. You're in New York. I'm in Austin. We're recording. This is going to go out to tons of people all over the world. And it could in, you know, in a day, Right. So it's insane to imagine years down the road what that's going to look like. And I really think we have to start learning and preparing for that because I don't think people really understand what that's going to look like. There's a great book by Peter Diamantes called Abundance. And he talks about how way back when, <laughs> you know, even when I think it was when when Reagan was president, he didn't have as much capability in the Oval Office as we do now in the middle of Africa with just a cell phone. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. And that's only going to get more and more and more as technology advances. So as you can tell, I get a little bit passionate. No, no. And <laughs> as, as, as a trained journalist, as someone who studied journalism in you know the 21st century, I just I have no idea how – now we have Twitter. So everyone's technically you know able to be a newsmaker by just taking a picture and posting it up on Twitter and saying, fire, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, at this location. So I don't know how – Beat reporters got any work done in any speed before when there was there were there weren't cell phones there wasn't email. Um, it's uh, it really makes me grateful for for that. When we're only talking twenty years ago, right? Yeah. Like that's not, oh that's yeah. Not yeah. That long ago, exactly. Is, well, so right. having a futurist on your on your board of mentors, I suppose, is is great. But uh, first, board of mentors is this something that we should all be doing? I love this concept. I definitely think so. So one of the problems, and this is what my, I had a business coach, her name is Amy Applebaum. I uh, interviewed her. <clears throat> She's amazing, by the way. And the funny thing is, is um, I talk to amazing people all day long, right? Like uh, my friends are some of the people I've interviewed. Like I, I'm a, surrounded constantly by people with net worths of ridiculous amounts of money, thankfully. And I, this is coming from a girl from the middle of nowhere in Maine that had no friends pretty much. So like anybody can do anything online nowadays. It's crazy. But the funny thing is <clears throat> I would go ahead and uh, talk to everybody. I do an interview, and then after the interview, they'd be like, "Oh, what can I help you with? Do you need any advice?" And then I'd I'd get the advice from them. Funny thing is, is they didn't know my business <laughs> very well, mm -hmm. and so they would give me b based uh, on what they knew. Like I remember, I chatted to, with a guy that bought and sold businesses. He was amazing. His name was Ace Chapman, and I was like, "Oh, I could totally do that. Oh, that sounds so fun and interesting." And I'd go like all over the place, right? Like, "Oh, let's do that. Oh, let's do this." And <clears throat> there were so many conflicting views. 
that she was like, you need a board of mentors. And so I created four guys that I've interviewed um, and we meet quarterly and I can reach out to them in between via email or phone. Um, But they're all on the phone at the same time. So I just take their collective advice and I I picked them very much on purpose, right? I picked a futurist. I picked someone who's amazing at media buying and online digital marketing. I picked a a speaker and, and an offline business guy. And so I have really great, amazing opinions. And then they all come to one solution and they give me action items and then I do that for the quarter. So it's not about running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And, and they do this all of their own goodwill, by the way, I offered to pay all of them and they all said no. Wow. Um, yeah, really, really impressive. They're hmm. amazing people and really good friends. And I remember being super scared emailing them, especially the futurist. I had just interviewed him like a week before, and I'm like, he doesn't know me. Why is he going to do anything for me? Um, and I had interviewed his identical twin brother, actually, too, which is kind of fun. Um, but, yeah, they, he said yes in a second. He's like, I got, I got support when I was younger, and I would love to support you. You don't get what you don't ask for. Exactly. Even though I was scared to send that email, I clicked send. I love that story. Super, super uh, inspiring, Jamie. Thank you. I'm going to look into that myself because I interview some pretty outstanding people (laughs) on this podcast. Um, Habits. Let's talk habits. You must talk about habits on on your show a lot with with your entrepreneurs and your millionaires. But for you, what is the number one money habit? Talking money, not necessarily like business or anything else, but really when it comes down to your dollars and cents, Jamie, what's the top habit that helps you protect your money and keep it growing? So I'm a big planner. (laughs) So both personally and professionally, I love putting money in buckets, right? And figuring that out. And that was one of the best things uh, about paying off my debt. For some reason, I got this high off of paying off my debt. I was like, Ooh, this is so amazing. And putting it in the bucket, you know what I mean? I'm getting, making this number go down or up like that stuff really gets me excited. And so in my book, I talk about, you know, having a fridge sheet and really paying attention to the buckets that your money goes into. So if you like my uh, personal account, I think has seven different savings accounts for all different things. (laughs) right? (laughs) And so like I, for some odd reason, I'm obsessed with looking at the money increasing in the certain buckets that I have. I mean, and it could be like a vacation or something like that. Um, But I love that. And so because I love it so much, it makes it really easy to be a habit to look at (laughs) quite often, right? I do a launch and I just uh, ended up interviewing uh, the guy from You Need a Budget, which I don't know if you've interviewed him yet, but he's amazing and uh, and great. He's like, oh, that's the whole point, right? If I could tell people the best thing to do is to take what they have and actually figure out and give each, each dollar a home. And I'm like, oh, I love doing that too. Like it makes me feel so good when I know exactly what happen, needs to happen with what, because then you can start predicting the future a little bit. You can go, okay, based on what I know now and how much I have coming in, what does this look like? And I do the same thing with goals and business, right? We start to pay attention and we go, okay, so how much money do we need in order to do this, this, and this? How much money do we need to make? Like it's, it's all a numbers game. And I'm a, like I said, I'm a huge geek. So uh, dealing with the numbers aspect, it's, it's, a, it's a game, it's, it is. it's all a game. <laughs> and, and also, 
just having listened to you now for the past half hour, you started this conversation by telling me that when you were in debt, you were afraid of the numbers. You didn't even know how much debt you were in, but you faced that reality. And now look, it's become a habit. You know, it just it, that transformation for me listening to you has been so telling and so inspiring because you can certainly it's proof. It's evidence that you can go from being in a place of fear potentially to a place of control, like being in control of your money as opposed to the other way around. So, so fantastic. That's funny. That's what I have on my blog. I I go, I want to help people control money so money Mm -hmm. doesn't control you because I really felt like it controlled me. And that's not cool. You can't make choices based on that. All right, Jamie, almost done here. So money, fill in the blanks. Ready? Ready. If I won the lottery tomorrow, not talking a million, a hundred million, more money than you would ever, ever need what would you do? So if it was yesterday, I would make no decisions at all, probably for a month or two. (laughs) Cause that's, I'm not, so I love buckets and I would be sitting there probably planning the heck out of what I would do with a hundred million and not do anything (laughs) for a while. Fair enough. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is my cleaning person <laughs> and my executive assistant. Oh my gosh. They make my life run so much easier. I'm not a fan. So getting rid of the stuff you don't like doing is huge. Yes. Outsourcing. Big time. We talk about that a lot on this show. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on. I'd say massages or self-care or facials. Like mm-hmm. I'm my massage place loves me. <laughs> and I'm sure you love that. And that is smart. I've heard this from some several female entrepreneurs too. I think pampering, investing in pampering yourself, so money. One thing I wish I'd known about money growing up is? That it is a game, right? And you can learn the skills to make it better. It's just like leveling up in a video game. You know, as you start getting better and better and better and you play the game more and more and more, you can learn how to do that. And I didn't realize, I kept thinking the circumstances were affecting me mm-hmm. when I can really change my own circumstances. And you can change the world in the process. You know, once you become empowered financially, you start to think bigger and better. Um, especially as women, I think that when we think of money as being a powerful tool, we don't think it as so much like, how can I power over things, but how can I have the power to change things, right? And make things better. I think that's what's the most beautiful thing about when we give women the power to manage money, uh, their own money, especially it, it can really change the world. It can heal the world. I love that. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because? So I love charity water. 20% of the proceeds of my book went to charity water because I feel like it has a ripple effect. Even my son and me give up my birthday. uh, And and he's eight and he gave up his birthday for it. So he didn't want any presents, which is amazing, right? Wow. He doesn't want presents. And uh, because I started showing him the effect, I mean, I told him that people don't have clean. Can you imagine not having clean water and what that does. I mean, they have to walk forever to try and get water, which takes up all their day, which means they can't learn anything. They're just walking all day. Right. And there's just this huge ripple effect that makes a huge difference. And so having clean water, I think is huge. That is amazing. And I love that your son is involved. I love that you're exposing him to all of this, Jamie. What a role model. I'm going to have him on the show when he's like, 18. <laughs> you or I should have him on the show now because, frankly, he is, <laughs> I'd say, a he's, little. He's got $70 in cash, and we went to the store Aww. the other day. He's like, nothing's really worth spending my money on right now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. well, then. okay. You know when I learned that? I learned that when I was like 25, when I finally I got some money, and I was like, I actually don't want 
all this crap that I thought I wanted when I didn't have money because you live in a place of scarcity. All you think about is like what you don't have and what you want. But once you have abundance, once you know how to make money and once you feel empowered by the idea of being, you know, being able to make money, which your son is already getting exposed to, you're like, oh, how can I be strategic with this money, right? How can I save it? And he's learning this at eight. Watch out, world. No kidding. No, I'm still teaching my five-year-old daughter who just got $3 and was like, let me, let's go to the store and spend it all. So we're, we're working it as best we can. And finally, Jamie, I'm so money because... Ooh, this one's so hard. I, I try and be as humble as humanly possible. I know, but this is my my gift to my guests. It's like, you know what? Just brag. Just, just let it out. Shine your light. Uh, so I'm so money because progress is my mantra, and I want progress to be everyone else's mantra, and I want to help as much as humanly possible to have other people level up their lives so they can have a life as great as mine. It's insane to know how much my life has changed in seven or eight years since my son was born, and I'm just so excited. I want everybody to experience the freedom of time and money. It's huge. Well, thank you so much for the phenomenal work that you do, Jamie. Everyone, go to eventualmillionaire.com. Uh, loved having you on the show, Jamie. I've been a fan for years. I'm so honored that you joined us today. Have a wonderful year and good luck with all the progress. Thanks so much, Renoush. Have an amazing, amazing day and stay warm. Thanks. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Jamie, to learn more about her book and her podcast, please check out her website, eventualmillionaire.com. She's also on Twitter at eventualmillion. We've got all this info at somoneypodcast.com, of course, and there you can find the transcript and comments from this interview and all previous episodes. And as always, I want to hear from you. Please submit your question for me about money or work, life. Just hop on to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and ask away. There's a really good chance that I'll include it in my following weekend episodes of So Money. It's uh, the Ask Farnoosh edition of So Money, where I get to connect with you one-on-one. If you love what you're hearing and you want the podcast to continue shining its light, please spend a minute, leave a review on iTunes. It's the single most impactful way to support this podcast and avoid it from falling into obscurity. Good reviews get us good placement in the iTunes store and more organic traffic and growth. So if this is something that you are willing to do for me, I thank you in advance. And to show my appreciation, every week I select one new reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money coaching session with me over Skype. So if this is something that you're interested in, uh, leave a review and let me know. Email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com when you've left the review, and I will enter you into that drawing. Okay, everyone, thanks so much again for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money. 